Thanks. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 4. We're, going to, we're working our way through this book of the Bible, and I'm going to ask you to open there to chapter 4 as we talk this morning on casting crowns. Um, next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and we'll take communion in our worship services, and it'll just be a great day. I'm going to preach on three people at the cross. We'll take a little break for two weeks from Revelation, three of the individuals at the cross. I love this, I love this story. And then the next week is Easter Sunday, and I'm going to preach on why the resurrection matters and the difference that it makes and why that's important for us. And uh, we're going to ask you to invite people to come with you on Easter Sunday. Sometimes if you invite someone, they'll come. And I want to ask you right at the end of the service, we'll ask you to come. If uh, During this time, just ask God to lay in your heart someone you might invite to come with you on Easter Sunday, and then you can pick up an Easter basket right at the end of the service uh, in the closing song and then give it to them and invite them to come Easter. And sometimes people will hear the message of the gospel on an Easter Sunday, and God will use that in their life, and we're praying that way. Well, let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to read beginning with verse 1. Follow along as we go all the way through this book of the Bible, or this chapter of the Bible. The Bible says this, After this I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. And the first voice that I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And immediately I was, I was in the Spirit. And there was a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on it. And the one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone, a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. Four living creatures, covered with eyes in front and in back, were around the throne on each side. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around and inside, day and night. They never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Well, let's look at this view of heaven, this picture of heaven. Now, I believe chapter 4 is referring to the time after the rapture. The Bible tells us there will be a rapture. That is, those who know Christ as Savior will meet the Lord in the air. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 tells about the rapture, uh, among other places. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. The Bible tells us there will be uh, two pe- a man and wife in bed, and one of them will be taken up and one left behind. Or two working and one taken to heaven and one left behind. And that could happen at any moment. And this p- 
picture in chapter, Revelation chapter 4, I believe, is after the rapture. We've noted that the Bible's talk here, Revelation has talked about the church, the churches, in chapters 2 and 3 especially. And now we won't hear another thing about the church until the very end of this book of the Bible. And so let's note this picture of heaven, because that's really what is happening here. We get a picture, we get an insight into what heaven is like, and we see a picture of it from God's Word. And so let's note some principles together. Three things I want you to see. Number one, would you see heaven's majesty? And this passage tells us about the majesty of heaven, the glory, the beauty, the incredible nature, trying to use the English language to describe this or the Greek language for that matter or the Hebrew language for that matter is so difficult, but let's see a little of heaven's majesty. The Bible says in verse 1, I looked and there in heaven was an open door and the first voice that I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And then we see four things about heaven's majesty. First, the power of God. Verse 2 says, tells us about a throne. Verse 2 says, immediately I was in the spirit and there was a throne in heaven and someone was seated on it. And we know that that's the Lord, seated on the throne of heaven. The Bible describes this throne, this beauty. There's uh, this great beauty and appearance, a rainbow that has been co-opted in our generation, but the rainbow is a reminder of God's judgment and God's mercy. And it's a picture of the great beauty of the throne and the power of God because the Bible reminds us that the Lord is the Lord, he is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's seated on a throne. You can sort of picture him in heaven, can't you? Seated on the throne, the great throne room of heaven. And then we see the victory of God. The Bible tells us in verse 4 about crowns and thrones and 24 elders. Verse 4 says, around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. Now these 24 elders, I'm convinced, are not angels, but are people. They're elders. They're dressed in white clothes, as is commonly the case in God's Word of the description of people. They're, they have crowns, golden crowns, on their heads, the Bible says. These are elders. These are people, maybe a representative of the church of the Lord Jesus throughout time, a representative of all who will stand before the Lord. And you say, well, why were they wearing crowns? Why would people be wearing crowns? Because why would they be sitting on thrones? Because the Bible tells us, the Bible talks to us about this subject. Let me just mention a few places where the Bible talks about a crown for us. 2 Timothy 4.8 says, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Or James chapter 1 verse 12, blessed is the one who endures trials, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Or 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now this victory that we have in heaven, it's God's victory given to us. Our righteousness in heaven. It's not our righteousness. It's God's righteousness given to us. It's God's holiness given to us. It's God's forgiveness for us, provided for us. And so we have the privilege of 
wearing the crown of righteousness, not because we are righteous. Have you noticed about yourself that you're a sinner, that you're broken, that you're fallen? Have you noticed that about yourself? If you live long enough, you'll see that. It's not our, in fact, can I just tell you, you'll not go to heaven. You'll not go to heaven because you're good or because you're religious or because you're better than other people. You'll only go to heaven by recognizing that you're a sinner who needs a savior and turning from sin and trusting Christ and finding his righteousness given to you. Christ died on the cross for your sins so that if you receive him as savior, the Bible says God forgives you on the basis of the blood of Jesus so that his righteousness is imputed to you, his holiness imputed to you, his forgiveness given to you. And so the Bible says these elders seated on thrones around the throne room of heaven, around the great throne of the Lord, and they remind us of the victory of God. You can have victory in life and victory in eternity. God wants you to have victory. If you know Christ the Savior, you have victory over the power of death and sin and hell. But you can have victory in this world over the power of addiction and depression and difficulty and struggle. God gives victory by his might. There's a third thing to note here about the majesty of heaven, and that's the presence of God. The Bible tells us next about seven spirits of God. Verse 5, flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne. Were you here this week during the uh, lightning storm and the thunder that was rolling, the power of that? Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, this is referring to, I believe, the Holy Spirit himself. And seven, the fullness of number, the completion of number, referring to the fullness of the Holy Spirit, that we can have the presence of God in heaven. We'll know it fully. Even right now, if you know Christ as Savior, the Bible says, God the Holy Spirit lives in you. God the Holy Spirit lives in you. He's not just God out there, but for the believer, God in me. Not just somewhere, but here. Not just the Lord, but my Lord. And God the Holy Spirit lives in you. If you trust Christ as Savior, the Bible calls your body the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Holy Spirit, God living in you. It's not because your body's perfect and if you're sitting near enough to someone who is older than you, they can tell you that eventually your body begins to fall apart. It's not called a temple because of the perfections of our human body, but because of the presence of the Lord himself who lives in you. God is with us. We see in heaven God face to face and the fullness of that. And God, of course, wants that presence with us. He loves that. He offers that. And then notice the service of God. Verses 6, 7, and 8 talk about four creatures Four living creatures, the Bible says. And who are these creatures? One's, one's like a lion, one's like an ox, one has the face of a man, one is like a flying eagle. Well, we see something about this from the book of Ezekiel. And in the book of Ezekiel, we see these same creatures. And they are identified there. They are cherubim, cherubim, which are angels. The Bible talks about two different kinds of angels, the seraphim and the cherubim. A cherub, and the plural is the M, the cherubim, the plural of, of a cherub, an angel. And these are four angels. By the way, if you've ever pictured angels as chubby-cheeked little babies, well, this is not how they're described here, right? These are terrifying, powerful creatures that are serving the Lord and 
and that their responsibility is to serve and to glorify the Lord. And you are never more like the angels, never more like heaven than when you're serving. The Bible tells us the Lord Jesus himself came not to be served, but to serve. And there's a power in service. There's something great about that. I love seeing our teenagers learning about service, our children learning about service. I love that. We ought to learn because so much of our society points us to what's in it for me. What do I get? What do I gain? What do I have? Who can serve me? And the Bible is reminding us that God made us to serve, and we're never more like heaven than when we, when we think not of ourselves but of others. And we bring glory not to our lives but to the Lord himself. And so the angel's responsibility is to serve the Lord, and they are quick to do that. And they're serving the Lord in every way they can, and we need to be involved in service. That's a part of our Christian life. The normal Christian life is the life of service. The normal Christian life. It's not a normal Christian life to just watch. It's not a normal Christian life to just know. God made us to serve. God calls us to serve. And God's gifted you to serve. And God's empowered you to serve. And God's called you to serve. And so we see a little picture here of heaven's majesty. And words can't do it justice. Words can't do it justice. This picture isn't enough. If you're new to Illinois, you've not been around here very much, let me just tell you about a few things. There aren't many mountains in Illinois. We've got some hills in southern Illinois, and northwestern Illinois has some, but not, not any big mountains. Not like the Appalachian or the Rockies or the Alps or the Himalayan mountains. But maybe you've seen them before. Maybe some of you have been there to those sorts of places. You've seen mountains and you've seen pictures of mountains. There aren't many oceans here in Illinois. Did you know that? Oh, we've got Lake Carlisle, Carlisle Lake, Wren Lake. You can drive up to Chicagoland and see Lake Michigan. But we don't have any oceans here. You've known about oceans. Some of you have been to the ocean you have an idea of what it's like. You've seen pictures of it. We don't have many canyons here in the state. We've got ditches. But the Grand Canyon is bigger than that. If you've never seen it, it's like a ditch, only different. Bigger, grander, greater. Now, I've seen, I grew up here in the state. I did not see any of these things as a boy. I never saw the mountains until I was a teenager and I Never saw the ocean until our honeymoon, and I never saw the Grand Canyon until I was a grown man. But I'd seen pictures of all of those things. But can I tell you, pictures don't do justice. It's greater still. I mean, I could read about it, and I could hear about it. But whatever picture you have of heaven, it's greater still. And if you've ever pictured heaven as sort of a boring place, I don't know, sitting around on a cloud and playing some little harp and maybe bored out of your mind. How, how much you've missed of the reality of this greatness, the glory, the majesty. And I want you to see just a little picture of what you'll see more fully in eternity, that heaven is majestic and great. I want you to see something of the power and victory and presence and service of God. Now, there's a second principle I'd like you to know. Would you see heaven's refrain? See heaven's refrain. And the Bible tells us in verse 8 about these four living creatures, these cherubim, and what they're doing. The Bible says, day and night, they never stop saying, 
Holy, 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 the Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. They're singing. We don't get the, we don't get the music. Every generation takes the truth of God's word and puts it to music. Every generation has the privilege of singing in our own language God's truths. But those truths are timeless. And here's what they said. Here's what they were singing in heaven. Here's what the cherubim were saying. They were saying four things. They were saying God is holy. He's holy. In fact, they didn't just say holy, did they? They said holy, holy, holy. The Hebrew language doesn't have uh, like a holy, holier, holiest. So they repeat it for holy or holy, holy is holier, holy, 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 holiest. And they're saying here, the Lord is absolutely holy. He's absolutely holy. He's perfect. He's set apart. There's nothing like him. He's morally, ethically pure and holy. God is holy. And he calls us to live a holy life. Now, none of us match the standards of perfections. It's one of the reasons I say you won't go to heaven because you're good, because the Bible says none of us are good, because the standard is perfection, and none of us reach that standard. God is holy and perfect, and the reason we can reach heaven is because Christ paid the price and his holiness given to us, his righteousness imputed to us. But God calls us in salvation to a holy life. Don't mistake that. Don't think just because God has forgiven you, he doesn't care how you live or what you do. Of course God cares because God is holy. He cares about your actions and attitudes and your spirit and demeanor. He cares about all of those things because he cares about you, because he cares about what's best for you, and because the very nature of God is holy. The very nature of God is holy. And so he calls those of us who name the name of Christ to follow his example, to live like he has taught us, to do what he tells us to do, because God is holy. And then notice as well, he is Lord. The Bible says holy. The cherubs are singing, holy, 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 Lord God, Lord God. The word Lord is a strong word. The basic summation of the Christian life, perhaps the best summation of what it means to be a disciple, is just this simple phrase, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And when we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying he's in charge. I'm not. I'm not Lord. He is Lord. Not my will. He is Lord. Not what I want. He's Lord. And we're saying what the angels saying about Jesus is Lord, and they're glorifying the Lord God. Notice they recognize that he is powerful. They say, holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, the Almighty. I don't know what you're going through right now, but God is bigger than what you're going through. Some of you are going through some great pain. Maybe there's a loved one who's facing the end of life, and you're going through great pain and sorrow, and it's hard. And God is big enough to handle it. Or maybe you're going through some personal struggles and you feel the burden, the weight of life. The weight of life just crushing against you. And it's bigger than you. But the Lord is bigger. He is the God Almighty. If you're going through whatever it is, depression, a broken relationship, pain, sorrow, hurt, struggle. He's powerful. He's the Lord God Almighty, big enough to handle our problems, our mistakes, our failures, our weaknesses. 
He's holy, he's Lord, he's powerful, and notice he's eternal. The Bible says, who was, who is, who is to come. That's what the angels were singing. Holy, 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 the Lord God, the Almighty, who was. There's only two options. Something came from nothing, or someone made this something. And the Bible is saying about the Lord, he was. As we look back into eternity past, he's always been. And all of this that we can see comes from him. Who was, who is. He's present. He's with us. He's here. And who is to come. That is, he will always be. Now, you have a beginning, but God made you for eternity. Did you realize that? God made you for eternity. God made you for the future. And not just this world, though how you live in this world makes such a difference, but God made you for eternity itself because God is eternal. And the angels were singing who was, who is, and who is to come. There's something about the song of heaven that just ought to stir our heart. When I was a teenager, I wanted to listen to the to the music of the day, partly because my friends uh, listened to that and I wanted to be kind of connected with them and partly because I liked the opportunity to listen to music. And so I didn't have the same devices in those teenage years that you may have here. My father was a construction worker and a bivocational pastor, and so we moved many times to southern and central Illinois. And in central Illinois, in particular my teenage years, I could get a station. It's hard to get music. You just didn't have the same options. But I could get a radio station from Chicago called WLS. Anybody remember WLS? 89 WLS? Oh yeah, it was a big station. And at night it was super clear. You could hear it during the day in central Illinois, but at night it was super clear. And it played in those days top 40. And so I could listen to whatever song that I wanted to listen to. I could hear the songs and hear the music. And man, that was a great privilege for me. I'd hear the little sad songs. I always liked sad songs. I just listened to sad songs, you know, made me pine away for the day when I would meet Vicky. I didn't know that's who I was waiting for. But my senior year, then I met Vicky. I was so glad for all those sad songs that had prepared my heart for Vicky. And then I'd listen to all this, uh, you know, all the, whatever the songs were, some of the jaunty tunes as well. And um, so now, my music now, the way I hear my music now is it's, on, it's, on, it's at the elevator. So when I go to the elevator, the music from my generation is what's playing on the elevator. If I go to a hospital and they have music in the background, it's from my generation. That's what it is. It's a little sad songs, you know, whatever, story song, a little jaunty tune. That's from my generation. That's what they play now. Someday that will be you. You'll get to hear the songs from, your, from right now. Justin Bieber, I don't know who you listen to. They'll be playing those songs. Oh, you act like you don't listen to Bieber, but I know that you do. <laughs> and when I hear those songs, I get on the elevator and I push that button and I hear that song. It takes me right back to those teenage years. I can still hear those songs. And the Lord just plays this little song in our soul. The song of heaven, holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And he's playing that to take us back to what he made us for and who he wants us to be and what we can become. And I want you to see heaven's refrain, but there's a third thing I want you to note with me. I want you to see heaven's worship. And we're going to move from the worship of the angels to the worship of the elders. So let's note a couple of things about heaven's worship in verses 9, 10, and 11. Note our response. In verse 9, the Bible says, Whenever the living creatures, the cherubim, are giving glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, 
whenever they do that, verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne. So let's note a couple of things. Their response was reverence. Reverence. They bowed before the Lord. They said, this is big. This is holy. This is important. And they would bow before the throne. It wasn't, look at us on our little crowns with our on our thrones with our crowns. They weren't, that, that wasn't their heart. It was a heart of humility saying, we are going to bow before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And but there ought to be a reverence. Now listen, we, now we don't worship the Lord as though he's still in a tomb. We are thankful Jesus died on the cross for us. His blood on the cross matters to us. We're going to sing about his death because his death is the means by which we have life. But we remember that Jesus is not in the tomb. And so there is a life to our singing. There is a joy to our heart. There is a recognition of the greatness of God. And can I just tell you, every Sunday is Easter. And for that matter, every single day is Easter because the Lord is alive. And that changes everything. And we worship a living God. But there is always, even in our joy, this reverence for God, for the things that matter and the things that count. Now, I'm ashamed to say that sometimes... Having grown up in church, sometimes I didn't pay attention as well as I ought to have in church. And sometimes I took lightly the things of God. Maybe my familiarity with just the things of God made me prone to just sort of take it lightly. But there were these moments when God just reminded me, this is big and this matters. When we would take the Lord's Supper, even as a teenager, and sometimes I'll just tell you, I just didn't. I took far too lightly the things of God often. But man, the Lord's Supper, I, just, I remember, this is big. This matters. This is important. And the elders, in the presence of the angels, when they would hear them sing, they would bow before the Lord in reverence. But I want you to see a second thing they did, and that's honor. They honored the Lord. Notice what the Bible says in verse 10. The 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne. The crowns that they wore on their head that signified the victory they had. That we in Christ, his victory is ours. His righteousness is ours. They would take those crowns, what God had given to them. They would take those, cast them at the feet of Jesus to honor his name. And can I tell you, what we, what we do with what God has given us is a means by which we honor his name. So when we take our talents, and every talent you have comes ultimately because the Lord has allowed that in your life and given that to you. And when we stop just using our talents just for ourselves and we give them to the Lord, you know what we're doing? We're casting our crown at the feet of the Lord Jesus. And when we take our treasure and everything we call ours comes because the Lord has allowed that to be in our hands. And when we give, when I tithe, 
and I give to the Lord, I'm saying everything I have comes from you and I'm casting my crown at the feet of the Lord. And when I take this gift of time, and time is a gift God gives, and it's limited, and it's short and brief in this world. And when I use it for God's glory instead of mine, when I use it to learn his word, gather corporately for worship in his church, use it to honor him. I am casting my crown at his feet. And these elders said, what we have, what you have given to us, we use to glorify you. What you've provided for us is not just for us to have. God did not just bless us so that we have blessings, but he blesses us so that we can bless. And he honors us so that we can honor. And we cast our crowns at his feet. And that's our act of worship. In a sense, what we're doing when we gather here on a Lord's Day is to cast our crowns before him and to worship him. And notice not only the response, but our refrain. So verse 11 talks about the, the song of the elders. In effect, they're saying, you know, it's not just for the angels to worship. We have a role in worship. It's not just their responsibility. We have a responsibility. And so notice three things about this song they sing to the Lord. First, would you note, it's personal. They say, our Lord and God, you are worthy. Our Lord, not just the Lord, our Lord. Not just God out there, but my God, you are worthy. It's personal. And there are times, listen, we sing about God, and there's nothing wrong with singing about God, but there's something powerful in, in heaven, in the presence of God, to sing to God, to God. And when we worship, we may be talking about the attributes of God, but we are worshiping God himself. And so in heaven, they're directing this to the Lord himself. You are our Lord and our God, and you are worthy. And it's personal. Worship is not just something they do. It's not just something they do at church. It's something we do, I do, you do for the glory of God. It's personal. And then notice in the refrain, they're saying, you are worthy. Our Lord and God, you are worthy. No one else in all the world worthy, but you are to receive glory and honor and power. And Lord, all the glory that you give to us, we cast that at your feet. And any honor that we receive, we use that to honor you. And any power you give to us, we give that to you. Because you are worthy. And we can only stand before you because you are worthy and you paid the price so that we can be declared worthy. And then notice they say you are primary. Because, verse 11 says, because you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Everything that we see, created by the Lord. When we look into the sky at night and see those stars so distant and far away, created by God. The mountains, they're His. The oceans, from Him. The canyons, from Him. The soybean fields, the cornfields, the wheat fields, 
created by our God for us and a means by which we give glory to him because he is worthy. And so we take the crown that God gives to us and we cast it at his feet because he's worthy. Because he's worthy. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Right where you are, just bow your head, close your eyes. Some of you need to be saved and you need to give your life to Christ. Jesus said you must be born again. And the Bible tells us we need to turn from our sin and place our trust in Jesus who lived for us, who died for us, who rose from the grave for us. And I want to ask you today to give your life to Christ, to receive him as Savior. Ask him to save you right where you sit today. I'm praying that in this room this day, those hearing my voice this day would give their life to Christ. Would you trust him as Savior and find salvation in Christ so that when the Lord returns, you're ready? So that this picture of heaven that he's given to you becomes the place for you? Trust him as Savior. Christian, God gives you this picture because he wants you to understand it and then live out the life that he has for you in this world of time and space. Don't waste this day. Don't waste this Easter season. Don't waste this year, but bring glory and honor to him. Live a life that's casting your crown at his feet. What has the Lord placed in your life, in your hand, that you've been holding on to, keeping for yourself? I want to ask you right where you are, in the, symbolically, just to take the crown and cast it at his feet. God, everything you've given to me, I give to you. Everything I have that I call mine, it's yours. I cast this at your feet. My talents and my treasure and my time, my life, my glory and honor and power to you. Father, I thank you for this picture of heaven. And words cannot express the greatness. Whatever it is we think in our life, it will be like so much better. But I thank you for showing us a little glimpse of the greatness and the glory and the majesty and allowing us to see a little of what it will be and what you made us to do and become in this world. And I thank you, Father, that one day those who know you as Savior can join you face to face and to know you as we're fully known. In Jesus' name, amen.